When I set up the Uncensored CMO podcast, I wanted to have conversations that really mattered. I wanted to take you behind the scenes with some of the world's most successful people in marketing and advertising. And I wanted to have conversations that could really inspire you to change your life. And I think this episode might just do that. Nils from Uncommon is genuinely a decent human being and also an extremely talented creative. Together with Lucy and Natalie, they have set up Uncommon who are on a mission to create brands that you wish existed. Now in this episode, we cover the usual stuff, how Nils got started, his highlights from his time at Grey, from setting up the agency four years ago through to winning Campaigns Agency of the Year. And that conversation's great. It really is. But you know what makes this episode really, really special is the fear. The fear that comes from the stories that we tell ourselves. The fear of not doing the bold creative work that you know deep down should be done. The fear of not launching your own business because you think someone else can do it better. I really relate to those fears. They've impacted my career and many of the decisions that I've made in my life. And you know what, those fears are real and they really do have an impact on everything that we do. So listen, here's my wish for you as you listen right now. Firstly, that you might be inspired to make a difference in the world. As Neil says, the woods are burning and we don't have much time. And I also want to inspire you to back yourself. I'm sure that in your mind right now is one if not many business ideas that you've had for a long time. And what the team at Uncommon have done in such a short space of time is incredible and I think inspirational. So what I've got for you in this episode comes in three parts. We start with the journey to creating Uncommon. We go behind the scenes, what inspired Nils, the time at Gray, and what led up to creating Uncommon. So many rich insights and inspirational moments that happened on their journey. In part two, we're gonna get to the work. What makes the work so special? What inspired it? How do Uncommon work? And what difference they want to make in the world? How are they combining creativity with purpose to make a difference. And then in part three, I've got a little treat for you. So what I've done is I've, I actually interviewed Nils just before the pandemic hit and I didn't launch the episode, maybe because the fear in my head was saying, will anyone listen to a podcast when we're all locked down? I was actually quite wrong because they did and they do. So what I've done is I've gone back to the conversation we had 18 months ago and picked out some highlights from that moment. And again, there are so many in there, but I've put it together in some really shortcuts that I think will give you some real inspiration. Now, I hope you enjoy listening to this conversation, but most of all, I hope you feel inspired to tell yourself a different story because who knows, it might just change your life. And if it does, please message me and let me know. So without further ado, let's get into it. This is Nils Leonard, co-founder of Uncommon. So this is the first live recording of the podcast since the last time I met you, Nils. <laughs> how, like, how am I doing? We're only doing in person, right? Yeah, that's... Three black t-shirts, yeah. not anyone can see black that. Black t-shirts but. to hide the moobs, as we discussed. Yes. Yeah. Oh, listen, man, it's good to see you. Just for listeners out there, give us the quick intro to how you got where you are today and why advertising and what kind of brought you to Wow. Okay. This world. Well, I currently run, with Lucy and Natalie, I currently run Common Creative Studio, which is about 100 people now. We're four years old. Prior to that, I had a, a career in a lot of different ad agencies. Essentially, when I grew up, I came from quite a working class background and wanted to be an artist but couldn't see that path my parents couldn't see that path no one had ever done it so I was like what's the slutty version of art what's the commercial <laughs> get cash quick version of art 
And it, I'd made this dream up in my head that it was advertising. I'd never, I didn't have any connections, but told myself this story. Funnily enough, it's not far from the truth. Exactly. I was going to say, yeah. do art get paid is pretty yeah, much advertising. That's pretty much it. Yeah. Sell your most heartfelt thinking. So yeah, that was sort of it. I, I was lucky enough, to, I literally didn't go to uni. Went to the job centre and said, have you got any jobs in advertising? And there was one. I turned up three and a half hours early for a junior's position at Lintas. And that was it, man. That was you it. actually went to the job centre and got a job Dude, in advertising. And, and they that's... literally, I remember feeling a little bit like Harry Potter. Like they were like dusting off cards. were like advertising. No one's ever asked about advertising. And they're rooting through all this stuff. And they're like, oh, we got one. What a great hat. You know. That was it. Um, I remember doing, uh, I did my degree in economics and finance, which is pretty dull, but it turns out to be useful later in life. It's, you can be that guy in the room who goes, oh yeah, have we talked about the capital asset pricing model or the net present value of this business? I literally but, have no idea what you're talking about. No, I don't either. But <laughs> I just, I just, I've worked out, as long as you're just 1% more than anyone else in the room, you'll be absolutely fine. It's like a yeah. khaki life. I had, I'll just say this because I can nowadays. I wondered if that was Martin Sorrell's trick. Martin is an amazing man. I remember going to a dinner with him and our clients and Martin would do this thing in the middle where he goes, just for 15 minutes, I'm just going to stop and just give you an overview of what I reckon the world looks like. And he would leap from Japan to New Zealand. To, and I was I sat there thinking, this is incredible. And I, but I was also thinking, is he just making it all up? Yeah. Because <laughs> none of us are going to fact check it, man. I'm yeah, not going to get exactly. on my phone yeah. and go, is social media yeah. under real threat in Easter soccer? Yeah. I'm like, so it was, uh, it was always yeah, a cunning trick. I had um, Rory Sutherland on the show a few weeks ago, actually. And, and he's got this phrase he keeps using, ergodicity. And he just drops it in all the time, yeah. The erg, ergo, ergo, I can't even say the damn word. The ergodonomic relationship between these variables. I'm like, man, what are you talking about? But yeah. it's, it's a great hack for those meetings where you just want to, you know, <laughs> add some value and just confuse It could everyone. be, uh, apart from the one time a good friend of mine, Chris Hurst, made up a, a word in a pitch for News UK back at, uh, back at Grey. We were working together and he made up a word. And I remember at the time, the brilliant Katie Vanek-Smith said, if your friend makes up a word again, I'm going to throw him out the fucking window. <laughs> oh, outed. <laughs> yeah. I, would, I adored her for that from that day. Just That's good. fell in love. That's good. Yeah. So talking about Grey, uh, we, we almost met at Grey, didn't we? Because yes, I, right. I, I started at CMO at LucasAver Ibina and of course Grey was our account. I remember uh, first conversation I had with Lucy. She goes, hey John, it's great to be uh, great. Welcome to the team. Got a bit of news for you. <laughs> We're off to Uncommon. Although it wasn't called Uncommon at the time, no, of course. Right. You were just set sail. But before we get to the Uncommon story, so I'd love to talk about that. What are your greatest memories from that times you spent nine or so years yeah. didn't you running great I, I think I, I genuinely learned all of the things that I would say are the key lessons in my career at that place the very first was coming in there it was awful it was literally people called it the place you go to die at the time and it was like bloody hell and it was genuinely renowned as a sort of big sweaty horrible shop I was at United and they bought, and there was this whole debate amongst the supposed talent at United about whether we were all going to go there. And Richard Huntingdon was there and a few others. And they're all like, I'm not going there. And I met David Patton, who was the new CEO at the time. And David was like, this place is a mess. We're going to burn it down. We're going to sort it out. I need people I can trust in a completely different way of doing things. And I learned, God, it's about the people and the direction of travel. So I trusted David. And honestly, a year later, you know, all of those broken big agency things that are systemically true of a lot of places mm. he'd already torn them down he was like he was good to his word mm. and so I learned that I learned trust I learned what it takes to build a culture and what that really means I learned everything really and I learned a lot about creative leadership from people like Tor Mirren who's now the CMO at Apple he was CMO of Grey New York at the time 
So I, honestly, man, I've got lessons wow. as long as my arm in that yeah. time. But most actually, the nature of growing a business in your way, in your vision, I think was the, the biggest thing. It's always about the people. It's never about the name on the door. Isn't it always? Yeah. yeah. That's what I've seen as well. Yeah. It's it, the, the team you have around you, that, that yeah. relationship yeah. is everything. Your shared it? vision, the direction of travel. Yeah. I always think that with people often talk about agencies and the name, but it, it's always that you're buying individuals, really. Mm. You're buying well, individuals that can do yeah. do the work you want to see. Well, that, that, you're not wrong. And I think that's weirdly, that's a lesson I think still goes missing, which is most people, when they go to an agency clients, they go, oh, I've heard you're good. But... That's not enough for me. I'd argue that they need to know exactly why they're in the room. Yeah. So when I when we did Uncommon, it was like, I want people to literally have either seen our work or understand our mission so clearly that they don't want to ever be in the wrong room. Because I worked out that was the key to making good or bad work. Yeah. It's when people turn up and they go, I want good work, and you've got one thing in your head and they've got another thing yeah, in their head. Yeah, totally. You end up making crap. Yeah. So I was like, no, I'm going to be, we're going to make it so clear yeah. what it is we do. So the people that turn up, really want that yeah actually one of my probably the best creative meeting I've ever been actually was with Caroline Pay and the team and we were rebooting uh, Luke's Energy and she she pitched seven ideas and she got the creative because they, they were working in little pairs and each of the little teams in pairs came in and just pitched their work yeah. and honestly I could have bought all seven of the ideas it was just amazing we had this little setup we, we used to call it mission control where we'd all kind of work together for, a, for an afternoon in the same place and it just what we achieved, and I think about eight weeks, might have taken 18 months for, for both teams. Yeah. Unfortunately, at the end of it, we lost a bit of that kind of because we got into the, the politics of this and the, that often happens. But I, for me, like when you have an agency and a client that really get each other and trust each other and, and working closely, that's where the magic happens, isn't it? Yeah, it's huge. I yeah. think that shared vision thing is critical. All the best relationships we have here, Carolyn at ITV, like I, I can't think of Dan at Habito. They're all people that genuinely saw the world like we did, wanted yeah. to make an additive impact. Yeah. Those things are important as well, actually, because you talked about the end of the process, but I, I'd argue it's much easier to have a brilliant first meeting. Yeah. And it's much harder to ensure that the work is as brilliant as that when it leaves. The, the sort of thing to talk to is that I find a lot of the time it's brilliant to have great meetings and great decks, but it's when you're in the weeds of the edit, when yeah. you're in the, literally in the throes of, you have to look at each other and go, remember I promised you that this was going to be like this. Yeah. This is the moment where you have to believe that I know what I'm doing. Yeah. So just chill out. It's good. Yeah. And that does take massive trust. But really it does take a belief that they get it, that they care as much as you, that their eyes are on the same prize, all, all of that stuff. And that's been, I think, the secret to Uncommon. Yeah, no, that's really powerful. Before we move on to Uncommon, one thing I was going to ask you about, which probably the thing that impressed me about the grey years the most, was actually mm. Volvo Life Paints. Oh, okay, yeah. I just thought that had such purpose in it, as well as being a, a really clever idea. So tell me where that came Did from we do that, how that, that came about. That project and a couple of others was literally why we started this. Ah. So... We, we were working on Volvo, and here's the, here's the real story, as opposed to the one that everyone loves to make up about it. The real story was that we didn't have the car, and they wanted to talk about something, and they wanted to be in market, but the XC90, we weren't able to use the car in an advert. So we were like, fuck, how do we advertise the... <laughs> and we looked at all the features, and it had this feature called IntelliSafe, which is basically where it spots things on the road. And we're like, right, and Jonas and Rasmus, who work at Uncommon now, actually, found this gloop that they cover reindeer horns in, in Sweden, that makes them glow in the dark. And they were like, wouldn't that be amazing if you know we could give that to people on the road? It works like yeah. a telesafe. So they found the company, Albedo, who had a product called Albedo 456 that they'd been beatering, which was a spray. And the guys were like, you know, what if we put this spray together? And they named it, branded it Life Paint. We wrapped it and did all the stuff that we need to do to make it famous. And then it came out. The real learning wasn't just that wasn't an advert and all of the above. It was brilliant. Yeah. The real learning was a tweet I got around 
six months after launch from this woman and she said oh I've got three boys at Nils Leonard at Volvo I've got three boys I really love this idea why, why where can I buy why can't I buy this in Halfords why can't I buy this yeah. in M&S I want to spray their coats in it for winter and yeah. and it was I was like fuck and I remember it took me it took me about nine months to make that idea happen to sell the client that it was worth doing and all of the above I look at it now and I'm like the real learning in that is I should have gone straight to Albedo with my own money I should have made it myself, yeah. called it Life Paint, and then I should have gone and offered Volvo the chance to have it. Not begged Volvo for yeah. the chance to do it, the other way up. Yeah. And that for me was critical. So it was like, there's the learning. Yeah. So Uncommon that, works very differently now. I look at that, I look at the Angina monologues, which I think was one of my favorite bits of work from yeah. Grey. It was the comedy show with Victoria Wood, bless her, and for the, for the British Heart Foundation. Yeah. And I also thought to myself, God, that's a format. That, that was before branded entertainment was even a word. We did yeah. that. He did that 11 years ago or something. So I just look at a couple of those projects and I was like, the learnings are there for something else. Yeah, that but, makes yeah. now you've said that makes complete sense because you take the vision of creating brands that you wish existed in the world. That, that was my response when I think I turned up you know, to the grey office the first time and saw the life pet. I thought, that should be everywhere. That, yeah. that, that is a thing that should exist in the world yeah. and is going to save lives. And if, yeah. if anyone's about that, it's Volvo. That's, that, that's, that's their right. mission. So. But, but the dream there is, yeah, Volvo, but also it taught me that you can make a brand. Mm. what's a brand it's a pack with a logo and a story yeah. so halo coffee the coffee we started was pretty much the same i had a box of halo before we had the coffee i was looking at this <laughs> box going i know how this needs to feel you revert, you, yeah you reverse yeah. back don't you yeah, for so sure. like, let's invent the product that that we want that we imagine that people wish minds. existed yeah. that's right yeah, yeah, and yeah. it's so weird how few yeah. people do that yeah. there's all sorts of market research and scraping yeah. the market yeah, yeah. yeah but we all know what we wish yeah. was there yeah we all know what we wish existed it's funny in my in my system run world we're always having that debate because i'm like look I know what needs to exist. You don't need to go and ask everybody. Yeah. It's, it's patently obvious. So let's, let's come on to Uncommon. So what, t tell me the moment that you sat down with Natty and Lucy and you, and you said to yourselves, this is what we're going to do. We toyed with it for a bit. I'd been there nine years. Lucy had been there a little bit less and that a little bit less. For the first time, I was getting genuinely bored. It was like that. And I hate boredom and I hate cynicism. It was that so. new client that turned up, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh dear, yeah, that was it. Jeez, I saw you coming him. and I was like, mate, out. <laughs> Uh, then I went no. to Brewdog and the same thing happened. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, keep running. No, it was it was. I didn't want cynicism to creep in. It was brilliant. I think we'd we'd were at the pinnacle of our story and growth. Personally, they were talking about me possibly being the global ECD, which I really genuinely didn't want to do. I, I looked at that job from afar, and it's not. It, it, you don't have an office. You mm. don't. It's a weird job. And I was like, Christ, okay, I don't really want to do that. Where do I go? Lucy similarly had been CEO and that was MD and we were jamming on this stuff and we had this point of view that was shared with some of our clients, the one I just mentioned, but not all of them. So I'd go into some meetings going, look, how do we make something that really matters and blah. And some people would be like, I don't give a f you know, shit about that. I just want to play the gloop. Yeah. And it's fine. That's great. But that's not what I'm into. Sat down, had a few chats, went to weird hotels and cooked up plans <laughs> like you do. It's hilarious, man. Code words. Yeah, you do. Putting a meeting, in, putting a meeting in called boat drinks yes. or something. like. And you start cooking up a plan. And we knew that we wanted to do something. And we all said, OK, let's let's have a proper think about it. And then the timing of it was very difficult to work I out, bet. if being honest I with bet. you. And, and if I remember it right as well, you, you were tied up in some non-competes, obviously, which Martin Sorrell's famous for, isn't he? But what did you do in that year off? Because you couldn't <laughs> yeah. launch the agency, no. right? You had a whole yeah. They were yeah. fierce, man. They were yeah. really fierce. And I would argue, just for anybody listening, that that doesn't market to talent. The one gap with them, that we were all very well paid and well rewarded. And I'll always have hold my hands up and say that was brilliant of them. But similarly, when you restrain your talent and prison your talent like that, yeah. it just says all the wrong stuff. Yeah. There's a learning. No, yeah, we couldn't do anything. I was being followed. I had people with long lenses taking photos of me. <laughs> I, I, I'm not lying, man. I had dudes turn up in pubs 
with recording devices and no sit next way. to me. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yes. And so we launched a coffee. I was like, well, you can't sue me for launching a coffee. And they tried, but I was like, it's not an ad agency. So that, that was what we did. So I used the year to do that, loosen that, did some, they went and worked at a couple of accelerators and a couple of incubators and things like that. Um, but drove ourselves mad, actually, is yeah, pretty, pretty much done. what we did. Given you knew where you wanted to go. What a wonderful story and example as well. Three, four years later, Campaigns Agency of the Year, That's which great. is pretty cool. And yeah, 100 really people and the work speaking for itself. So it, it, it's a great place to get to. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, no, you it's know. good. And what's, the, what's been the journey for you as a business owner as well? Obviously, the, the work will get onto the work and be great. But I just wondered, what, how, how have you felt going from being the employed to doing the employing and the responsibility that comes with that? How's that? Look, it's weird. At Grey, I told myself a story that it was mine. That's how I think anybody invests in leadership. I think you have to believe that it's yours and that your your personal heart is taking it forwards. Mm. Of course, I wasn't. So there were key moments at Grey where I wasn't able to make the changes I wanted to make or push us forwards. Think life paint being an example. Yep. Why can't we go and fund this ourselves? Yeah, yeah. In a six-month conversation with Grey New York, it was like, oh, for God's sake. The real thing is that I, I think that I hadn't realised is <clears throat> you basically make it up. Tell yourself a story. You really do. You yeah. go, I'm going to build this thing and this is going to be the story and people are going to think this and you project, man. Yeah. You ma- what's the word? Manifesting? But, but yeah. you do. You, you yeah. make a thing up in your head. You do. And then all these, and you'll know this because you've got your degree, but all these things called forecasts and all that. (laughs) I was like, these are just stories we tell ourselves based on our current events. And it just dawned on me that you really, it really isn't much cleverer than that. Providing you've got that, you've just got to go for it. And so the biggest thing, weirdly, I think it was a brilliant urgency and panic to the first two. I remember, yeah. just, I remember that, just, oh my God, will this even work? You need that fire, don't you? That, 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 that's quite a powerful force. Yeah, and things like Agency of the Year is absolutely brilliant. But year four, I think, is the first year where we're like, God, okay, there's some really interesting challenges now. Yeah. How do we diversify? How do we grow? Do we work more overseas? A lot of our clients are very big. We're starting to do that and not doing that at the expense of the work or our ferocity. Different conversations now. But the overarching mm. one is just, also, I think we've fallen in love with it. Mm. Like at first, you're just worried it won't work. But now I like really love it. I love what we've built. I love the people here. Everything about it is a product of the codes we've created, Lucy, Nat, and myself. And that's a very personal thing, isn't it? It I, is. I'm it sure is. other people have mirrored but that. But really, that's, you, you, I think your personalities really shine through and what you're here to do mm. and the work you choose to do as well really speaks well, to that I hope a lot. So. Yeah, it comes yeah. across really clearly. I started amusing myself yesterday. I thought, I'll go and check in on Uncommon website and just see what the latest <laughs> stuff you're doing is. And I'm like, that's the page they put up when they first got together and haven't updated it since. That website, <laughs> I'm going to look back and if anyone hears me in a few years and I say it was a strategy, call, call bullshit on me. <laughs> I think you should call never bullshit. change it. No, we're not going to. I'll tell yeah. you why that website's yeah. fucking amazing. I'll tell you what I've learned is when you don't wang on about what you do yeah. publicly, yeah. people have to come find out. Yeah. And it forces people to go online, look at our work, work out the story. Because someone's gone, oh, you should check out Uncommon. And they go, oh, yeah. And they go online and they look at the site and they're like, there's nothing here. I know. <laughs> so I need to work hard to find out. So it means people come knowing what we do a bit more, if I'm honest. That's, that's, that's good. It's also a brilliant filter. Now you get those emails. Hey, I was just on your website and I, I thought oh, I loved yes. it. I'm yes. like, no, you clearly weren't on yes. my fucking website, were you? Because our website's a bouncing <laughs> oh, flag. You know? And presumably, you've, well, hopefully you've reduced some of the spam as well. You haven't got those people going, oh, I noticed on your website you'd be interested in buying our product. That's right. No, they still send them. They still send them, dude. (laughs) They just untargeted. We can open your Singapore office for you. you It's hilarious. Yeah. No, the the site's been great. And actually, we are we are building a new kind of sort of digital presence. But it's not. Again, classically, it's not even about the work. We're going to put a load of our publishing there, and we're going to put a load of the brands that that we've created on there. And we're going to we're going to make a shop, which is 
what we're doing. Yeah, that's it. So there still won't be any work. I think that's brilliant. Famously without a website. Tell me about how, obviously, when you started out, people are buying into you, obviously, your relationships, your experience, that kind of thing. What's it like four years in now? 100 people. I think you must have won 15 or so new clients in the past. If you, I mean, if I can't open campaign now without going, yeah. uncommon wins. What's it like now compared to the, the start with just three of you? What, how do you... How do you assess it now? It's going really well, and I'm I'm genuinely really humbled and feel very lucky that it is. What I've worked out is the same rules apply. So when we started, we were panicked and needed money and all those things. Mm. It was a standing start. And there were conversations where big clients came up and were like, we want to work with you. But because of our mindset and because of the promise we've made ourselves and the style of work we wanted to make and the scale of the work we wanted to make... It forced us to, basically those relationships didn't work unless they were on the same page. So we had a big tech client, I won't say who, approached us in the first six months of our life. And we ended up walking away from it, really bruised, having had about 20 different fights with each other about not wanting to make 15 second hardworking social for something or other. Because we realized that wasn't, that we wanted to do much, much bigger things than that. The same rules apply. So four years in, we get approached by people and some really great people but the ones that come and they go, we love what you do. We absolutely really adore it. And we saw your B&Q and we saw whatever. Yeah. But can you do a 1% uplift in our cheese sales? <laughs> Dude, that's not us. That's just not us. And it's weird. It's been a defense mechanic. It's not swaggy or anything. It's genuinely a defense mechanic, which yeah. is if Uncommon woke up and just made run-of-the-mill smiley advertising for people, we wouldn't be Uncommon. That's yeah. not what yeah. we do in the marketplace. Exactly. Yeah. Honestly, it's the same chat. But we, I'm really relieved because... As I said, when you tell yourself that story and you're going to build these brands, you stop short at, will other people like that? Will yeah. that really work? You just have to believe it will. And I've been very galvanized by the fact that a lot of people see the world like that. At Google is, is one of our clients at the moment. She's a really exceptional human, but she sees what they're doing and the fact they haven't communicated the power of things like search, right? Like yeah, crazy, it's so simple, right? right? Huge. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's really, it buoys me very much when you meet people like that and you meet and they're running a massive brand like that and they yeah. go I see the world like you do and we have to be more additive yeah. and we do have a part to play here and it's, wouldn't it be brilliant to tell that story to people yeah. so that's the deal I do, I do love how in a lot of your work you, you go beyond the functional aspect of the brand to, to the emotional uh, you do that very cleverly and very simply and I think that's it's, search is obviously a hugely functional thing but what it means to you in the moment or what it allows you to do is yeah. Could be. What well, do you think about search? Think about search, and, and again, <laughs> this is all our view. But think about search in the UK now, like r- right now, at the back of the football. We went from oh my god, this is modern Britain. We're so unified, aren't we? Yeah. Amazing together. Yeah. Well, we have what, lose one football match, and we're all tearing each other a bit, throwing yeah, each yeah. other off bridges. You're like, well, who are we? Yeah. And the questions you mm. ask Google. I know it sounds funny. Mm. I don't want it to become the Google show, but I'm like, the shit that people are putting into a search bar is really powerful. Yeah. Actually. And it's, they've never even scratched the surface yeah. there. So I think all that sort of stuff's going to be super interesting. Yeah. But even H&M approached us with the, the right stuff in their heads too. They were like, yeah. you know, hang on a minute, we're one of the world's biggest retailers in the business of male confidence and fear. What do we do? So those sorts of conversations Oh, I, like, yeah, me, I, I saw that because I, I think I replied to your post on that about the free suit for a yeah, job one, interview. Yeah, the one second suit. How cool yeah. is that? Uh, mate, I was chatting, but I think that's, that's great. You asked about life pain. I would argue yeah. that's one of the closest things to life pain yeah. we've, we've done here, which yeah. is here's a separate business that they've created. Yeah. I was so thrilled by them, man. Those guys are amazing at H&M. Yeah. They just went off and they went, right, okay, this is great. We're going to go and do it. Oh, it's brilliant. And you were like, wow, they like, organized absolutely everything. They're very no, impressive. I saw that. I was I, I proper respect that because suit is confidence yeah. and then yeah. confidence is everything when you're yeah. in a job interview and what that leads to. And yeah, yeah it's, it was interesting, man. There's some, um, someone said, um, 
oh, this is, this is misplaced. You don't need a suit to get a job now. And I was like, wow, man, how long have you been in media? Because in the rest of the world, dude, you yeah. still need a suit. Like, it was really revealing. You, 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 no one needs a suit to get a job now. I'm like, okay, really? We should do the Nils and John black t-shirt test. We should apply for a lot of jobs and see how far we get. Dude, but, <laughs> no, we wouldn't get anywhere, man. Yeah, yeah. Who, who the, particularly you with Outside your summer tan. Literally. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I hope you've been enjoying listening to my conversation there with Nils. Um, I realise, of course, this is audio, so you won't necessarily recognise or be able to see the work. So before we get into talking about the work, I thought, what better thing to do than play you a great example of one of Uncommon's best ads. So here it is. If walls could talk... What are you doing? What would they say? The wonderful decor on the bedroom walls, darling. They tell you. An out of focus photo on the mantle. Can warm this place up. That fairy tales. Coming tins. And it really doesn't matter what you mend. These walls would say change isn't scary when you're holding a hammer. Splinter, they remind you you don't buy a life. Check that out. You build one. You have fun. What a day it was the day you found out you can do it. <laughs> what, what do you reckon my favourite uncommon work is? Oh, God knows. You, I reckon you, uh, I don't <laughs> I don't know I don't know it's like judging actually, actually I'll, t- I'll take Habito off the table because of your okay. Valentine's Day book we'll okay. come on to that in a minute <laughs> okay yeah, right. Uh I don't know uh, B&Q yeah 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 yeah, yeah. I'll yeah. tell you why I mean we were chatting about this earlier but um, very randomly my, my house burnt down Christmas Day just not the last one that's gone the one before bless you mate and yeah I, I won't go into it now because it's like it's a podcast episode just in that but one, one of the, th- the thing that really got to me about it because obviously you know you're dealing with insurance you're dealing with yeah. rebuilding your life you got in fact I, I didn't even notice lockdown because <laughs> i was too busy with architects drawings and ordering interior design and stuff like that but um but the thing that got to me the thing that really hit hit my heart was when my daughters reacted to the to it in completely different ways so my eldest daughter emily she's a real creative she's quite robust and she was planning her bedroom and wi-fi connections and multimedia i mean she literally had it all planned out and this sort of thing and my younger daughter, Lilia, bless her, who she, if she saw, if you said the word fire or she saw a yeah. fire on TV, would literally freeze oh. and just, she would just burst into tears. And it killed me. But the thing, um, thing that she said to me, she said, John, I want you to rebuild my bedroom exactly as it was. Right. And even down to the lampshade yeah. and the particular pattern on the lampshade. Mm. And then I saw your B&Q work and I thought, damn it, man. That's, it, I almost yeah. cried. I yeah. literally saw it because it, for me, it was like, it was just that moment where I said to Lilia, I'm going to find you that lampshade. Yeah. And it's, it sounds Heavy. so, no, you look at it in isolation, yeah. you go, why is he going out of his way to find this particular no, no, no. tropical pattern lampshade yeah. that matches yeah. the curtains? But for Lilia, she, the one thing, weirdly, she said, <laughs> she said, I want the same front door, daddy, and I want my bedroom to be the same. Yeah. But for her, that was getting through this. Amelie's mm. way of coping was change. Like change. Right? It was just like, yeah. oh, I'm imagining like my, yeah. my, my bedroom as a studio. Yeah. <laughs> kind of thing that's, yeah. that's how she dealt with it but uh, I saw your being and I thought damn it man that is, that oh, is thank good you, man. That's, it's I not mean, functional that's a heavy it? story yeah. dude but it's, it, it was just a massive again it was a massive truth I couldn't believe anyone had scratched that I'm terrible at DIY but 
I know the power of putting a picture up in my kids' room and I know the power of buying them a lamp and a bedside table and you know that you're making the cinema and memories of their life. And they'll look back in those weird 16 millimeter moments and <laughs> yes. be like, yeah, those things mattered. You know, it's huge. That's what we've always wanted to talk to with Builder Life. That was actually Toby Duncan, his line. It's it's just such a smart encapsulation oh, of the whole brilliant. thing. Oh, that's brilliant. When we landed on that, I was just like, mate, that is, I know. that's the thought. I looked at it, I thought, damn it, that is so good. The strategy execution. Yeah. The other thing I thought, I actually thought it was quite beautiful as well, because yeah. I really like the way the outdoor was arresting, but you just made a, sometimes it's hard, isn't it, to make a point as simply as yeah. that, but it's worth no, pushing. Thanks. Brilliant clients though, man. I must point that out. If you think about the journey they've gone on, they were doing ads where B&Q employees were dancing around the store selling people. Yeah. And they've gone, okay, Christ, we're going to have a completely different conversation. They've really backed that. I'm really excited about the work we're making for the back end. It's a departure from the, ca- it's the same campaign, but yeah. a very big departure executionally. Oh, yeah, right. it's going to be really That's exciting. Good. That's good. It's going to be really. And just from a, because obviously my system one job very much focused on effectiveness. The other thing, of course, is that's being yeah. it, it, there, there is no way that's not being q which always yeah. pleases me from a client point of view because yeah. you, you just want to stand for something really powerful but you want to make sure people know it's yeah. you saying it as well no, we never combine the both we always keep an eye on that which is it's not about inventing a brand new brand and hoping the logo sits at the end yeah it's, it has to be true ha- that was what paddy spotted yeah. in it. he was like that's the bit that no one's ever done yeah that's why i love that the posters were bright orange yeah yeah, just yeah. big dirty <laughs> bright orange yeah. posters you're like well there's no way that could be and you've got some humor in there as yeah. well I mean, they want yeah. to like, walk past that and not have a little yeah. smile on their face no, that's it. Think we're trying to make yeah. some poo drops for those guys at the moment <laughs> I love it. i'll tell you why I, I, I can't talk too much about it but we are literally researching breaking it. news well, yeah <laughs> not, not so much first. not so much what happened to uncommon they started making poo Damn drops it, they started getting to poo drops yeah no yeah we got but yeah it's a mix of that humor but it's all rooted in the truth yeah. right of people it's all rooted in our stuff which i think is right. that's what it's about but they're, they're brilliant and we, the other client of yours as well we, we're talking about very mainstream famous retailer the other kind of very mainstream uh, media owner itb as well yeah. I, I love what you've done for them as well oh, i just think just i've heard you talk about contributing to culture and having conversation culture and the reactive stuff on blm i just thought yeah. was superb yeah itv are amazing man how many of us get to say we run a company that appear in that many people's lives yeah it's just mad. And I would argue they've always been far too humble in mm. replaying their role in British culture. But they're taking the knee stuff as well and yeah. all of that um, has just been incredibly powerful. And they get really behind their, the stuff they believe in. You mm. see that many, the, the tension with ITV, which I think is super interesting, is the channel and the platform itself have a really clear and positive additive view, I think, of British culture. But the voices that they host, of course, are all different. Yeah. So you look at peers. And you look at moments yeah. like that, and I think it's really interesting tension. I also think that there are a really interesting crossroads if you look at you know, the way we're all consuming content now, so Netflix, Apple, etc. How can ITV shift that? And I think they're making great swathes to do that. Mm. With The Hub, they're working on it a lot. It's mad to yeah. launch that sort of stuff at their scale. They're, again, an amazing client. The yeah. drama versus reality stuff. Uh, I love that. That was just, yeah, that looks we've got Yeah, we've got, a little, we've got a little game in the offing that we're making, which I'm really excited about yeah. as well. So we're going to launch that. And there's a, another installment of that that breaks in a couple of weeks. So... Um, yeah, it's hilarious, that stuff. Oh, I can't no, quite I, believe we got away No, I, I saw that. I just thought, yeah. <laughs> I can't quite believe we got if, away If, if you got to play with the train set, that is it, isn't it? Right, come on. We want a chopper. We, we open want... on a helicopter. <laughs> literally, Sam Walker and I, I, was like, I said yeah. to him, mate, you need to pinch yourself. Yeah. And by the way, never write another script with a helicopter in because you've made one you, now. You've done it now. Yeah, he's made one. The tornado jets just yeah, lower down. Literally, you're like, oh, God, Where'd you take that one next? Yeah, a screaming reality star with a minigun. Yeah, the good days, aren't they? Yeah, man, it's great. Interesting, isn't it? That mix of you would argue that some people would say, oh, that's old school telly and inverted commas, but of course it's not, right? No. It's actual entertainment Yeah, is the point. It's thrilling, challenging, provocative entertainment. It's as provo- provocative as the shows, yeah. arguably. 
Did we talk about this before? It's always killed me that you're sat watching like Game of Thrones and there'll be a sex scene and there'll be someone getting their head cut off. It'll be like, I don't know what the rating of Game of Thrones is. It should be like, you should have to be like 20, 85. Yeah, like 25 <laughs> to watch it. And then the ad break in between it, of course, would be completely yeah. censored. Yeah. I always wonder what would happen if you could take the gloves off. Yeah. If you could say, okay, the ad breaks within the context of this show are going to behave like the show. Yeah. What would that be? That, that's not the conversation we had on ITV, but we did say to ourselves, this needs to be better than you know, the majority of content that people are watching. That's the deal with it. What I love as well about ITV is, is they're trying to make people fall in, as, as they would say, fall in love with advertising again. And, and I think that's a, that's a wonderful mission. Because, you know, when we were growing up, we used to love the ad breaks. Yeah. We'd talk about the ads yeah. and that kind of thing. And I think it's good to see some of that magic coming back. I'm trying. Yeah, trying. Yeah. But, I mean, that's, you know, Carolyn and her team, Rufus over there, and all of the team have, have just been incredible. They've got a real mission. They feel like a company on a mission. They're so lovely. You wouldn't meet them and go, God, they're burning with ambition. You know, they're, <laughs> because they're not sat there like, you yeah, know, whatever. But, but they are um, they're incredible, actually. And, they, and the shift I think ITV's gone on in the last couple of years alone is massive. Yeah. So that's no, really yeah. good. No, yeah. Pass your arm, man. That's no, good. cheers. That's good man. stuff. I love Thank it. Thank you. Absolutely love it. Um, you, you've also dabbled as well. As well. Yeah. Dabbles probably in un, uh, under, underselling it, but you've also backed yourselves, haven't you, in terms of launching products as well. Yeah. Are you doing any more in that space? Because I, yeah. I always admire anybody that kind of not just tells their clients what they should be doing, but gets on gets on the pitch themselves. Well, no, well. I, that was our dream. I'd never wanted... Our whole rhetoric is simple, which is usually when you pitch, you get your best people and you go away for two weeks for free, right? <laughs> and you jam on it and you don't just go what's the brief you go what you know say we're doing a bottled water what should really exist in that category what do i wish existed how would it package who would they work who would work there and you make up this story of the brand and then you go and try and sell it back to people that's what a pitch is and we were like the problem with that dynamic is you're still asking permission to make something that should exist in the world and we're like why do we keep doing that mm. the problem with advertising is we ask permission to do everything mm. and so we're like we're going to stop doing that yeah, we make our own brands, we make our own products. Halo Coffee was the first. We've got two or three others now. There is an entertainment uh, platform we're building, which is mad. We produce our own films. There's a film, a documentary we're releasing later oh. this year, which I'm really excited about. And we've, we're going to launch a, an accelerator later this year, which, again, I'm really now excited that's, about. That's, that's very exciting. Very you, exciting. you know, and, and the purpose of that is we sort of, our rhetoric about building brands that wish existed. Currently, what a lot of people know us for is where we partner with brands to help them become that. But of course, we always dreamt of launching our own. It's going to be amazing, purpose-led, purpose-driven brands who we're going to help with their narrative. We're going to help place them into culture and, and continually guide them. Yeah. So that's really exciting. That is um, awesome. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine being a startup going, we've got Uncommon yeah, well, <laughs> on yeah. our side, right? Well, yeah. that's just, and hopefully, that's... hopefully we'll feel the same about them and be like, oh yeah. my God, that... Because some of the ideas that people are launching, dude, are absolutely amazing. Yeah. They really are. And you go, oh my God. And if we can do anything to accelerate and arm them, then we will. Incredible. Yeah, and is, so, it, is the idea you'll take a small stake in it in return for it? How's that? Yeah, something like that. Because most entrepreneurs are pretty cash-strapped. and Yeah, they are. Yeah, it'll be a bit of that. I'm sure it'll have a lot of different shapes. But I look back and go, one of the, one of the biggest regrets, we've always had very different financial models, but we did a project for ASOS where we launched, well, created and launched a brand called... It was a great creative project, all the above. But we should have stopped at the start of that project and said, dude, can we talk about equity, please? Because yeah. four weeks after launch, it was the fourth best-selling brand on ASOS. No way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's wow. worth millions. Like, literally wow. worth millions. So I look back and I'm kind of like, yeah. if we were a little bit bolshier, that was year one. Yeah. So if we were a little bit bolshier around that, we'd have had a different conversation. Yeah. As it stood, we, it was great. But So it's always been about that. And so some of these brands are you know, going to be different stages. But yeah, we take a stake, we'll push them forwards, and we'll see how it all goes. But that's, that's really position. exciting. You know, oh, that's, and that's, I really that's, hope to be... 
I always wanted us to be as known for launching brands as we are for advertising or, or the other. The other thing I don't know how much, John, what we've been up to lately is the design part of the studio has been, so we rebranded City of Coventry for City of Culture, but we've just won the Museum of London, entire rebrand, which... Yeah. I just think is, I think I'm really proud of that. We pitched against legitimate global design voices and very heavy hitters. And for me, that's about rebranding London, which I feel really excited about. What yeah. is the logo for London? What is an icon for London? How should we feel about our city? Yeah. So all that sort of stuff, the kind of new forays that we're making, really exciting times, I think. Oh, that's awesome, man. Oh, yeah. I love it. Haven't built a building yet, but we're going to do that. You haven't built a building? No, we want architects. I was going to say. We keep, joking, we keep <laughs> toying with it, but I'm like, yeah. I feel like I need to ask you, like, what's going through your head about things Uncommon needs to do in the future you've not yet done? 100% build a building. Build a building. Yeah, we're going to yeah. do... We're gonna yeah, do common uh, building. Well, like, <laughs> no, it just kills me. I think you... I genuinely reckon... The antidote's Trump Tower, right? Well, 100%. <laughs> but if, you, if someone said to you, oh, what's an Uncommon building? Most people could draw it. I reckon yeah, they could draw yeah. it. The Olympic torch... Always wanted that. Oh, good. Fancy that. That'd be good. It's stuff that matters, man. Yeah. Moments of influence, I think. Yeah. I, um, I think the Olympics have got real power at the moment. Uh, they should have power at the moment, shouldn't they? Right. If ever we needed a unifying event, right. bringing right. nations together, right. celebrating achievement. It's funny. I think that's exactly right. And I think they have to do it. I think they've just got to go past the familiar rhetoric because when we all hear about the Olympics and we go, oh, it's all about us coming together. You're like, yeah, but you've just got to hold up a mirror a bit more. Yeah. Because once you do that, it will work. Yeah. Once you go, hang on a minute, we're all about this spirit, but by the way, have you seen the world right now? Then it will really work. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's the thing they've got Put to do. Put it into the context yeah. of the world, yeah. yeah. But also what, anyway, it's an interesting, co- I can't say too much about it, actually, we're talking to them at the moment, so. Oh, are you? Yeah. Okay, yeah. okay. okay. scoop so, number two. Everybody. Yeah, right. Shh. We're dropping poos and we're going to transform the Olympics, right? Yeah, that's right. Poo drops and the Olympics. That's my <laughs> the week. same sentence. That's my week, yeah. <laughs> So oh. yeah, it's cool. Yeah, the other thing we're talking about cooking up is the experience side of, of our business, which, you know, if you think about the whole thing as a circle, currently we've been doing 75% of it, you know, which is the purpose, the mission, the narrative, yeah. all that working culture. And sometimes we've been a bit frustrated that when you scratch under the surface, the behaviors of the brand. So we're launching an experience practice too soon, which is going to be awesome. It's led by some properly good people. It's a legitimate separate practice within Uncommon, which is going to hopefully take us to a different place as well. Oh, that's really good. Yeah, that's really powerful be actually. Because you're right, that people can smell, can't they? When what you're saying externally mm. and what you're doing internally isn't, yep. it doesn't match. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And I, I've always, again, slightly back to design, but I've always loved the ability for design thinking, whether it's a platform, whether it's how you go about emailing people. Yeah. To influence your behaviours, I think, is just huge. And the best of experience, I think, does that. Yeah. It always has. So that's going to be a, yeah, that's going to be an exciting time. Oh, man, it's, it's that's, yeah. that's tremendous. I love that. Yeah, it's good. And I must say as well, congratulations on Campaign Agency of the Year, yeah. of course, right? Yeah, we're chuffed, yeah. Four years in. Yeah, dude, it's great. We got we got independent year before and, and Ad Age is a small agency. And that one was massive, though. We, like, yeah, it was, it was just really humbling to land that I'd always wanted that at Grey when we were at yeah. our best and we never quite got there and yeah, it was huge annoying though John automatic reaction would normally be to drag everybody to St John and all get yeah. absolutely battered we couldn't do any of that I was going to ask you about that yeah we like, couldn't do any of that of all man. the years to win you know, yeah. you're going to have to make it up later in it's the year it's classic uncommon though isn't it to win it yeah. in that year yeah. Yeah. Us, we're like, the pandemic agency yeah, you know. yeah of course um, but look, that was really galvanising for everybody but yeah. more than anything it said look this thing that we this story we told ourselves is one out there that other people are seeing that's what it's like recognition a bit which it's weird awards are weird they are weird they can sometimes tell the wrong story and they can make people do the wrong things actually but sometimes they really matter and that one was like a moment i think for us yeah that's that's magical and i I presume as well you probably employed 
40 or 50 people in the last year you've not met as well. <laughs> so a bit of that, yeah. I mean, I walked in today and there's someone that yeah, actually, so literally, I was like, oh man, <laughs> you're, oh, you're six foot two. All that, but yeah, it's, it's been like that, yeah. It's weird how quickly you get to know people in the fires of making things. Yeah. It happens very fast, but you're right. Yeah. You forget we haven't actually met and stuff. It's super. How's the pandemic affected creativity for you? Because I, I don't know, actually, when we had the Brewdog meeting, I remember we were chatting away and I'm just doing a brain dump. And you, you're literally there with your, your A1 pad, I think oh, it was, yeah, yeah. drawing out like loads of things. But ha- has it changed the creative process in terms of you well, and your team? It, man, we, I think we spoke about this last time, but the, originally, as everything changed, we went into overdrive. Yeah. It was like our perfect scenario. We were arguably built for the way the world is and the crises we're facing yeah. and all of the above. It was like, oh my God, this is a real thing. Yeah. And we must help people. We must find a way for the brands to matter, the, yeah. to do the yeah. right stuff. Yeah. So we went into overdrive. We made like 200 films TV, made the sanitizer with Brewdog. Made, I think that first year, I think the latter year has been much more difficult keeping that energy and ferocity because mm-hmm. panics create energy. A crisis yes. creates energy. And yeah. it's, it's actually incredibly healthy, I think, yeah. to fight and to fix this fight's different it's muddier and it's foggier so keeping that energy's been tough but overall because we're output based it dawned on me that we're still really as good as we would have been yeah i know it sounds weird but i remember being at gray and a couple of other places which were much more about the game and our vibe in the room and all that stuff uncommon has a vibe in the room but we're really about the work and you come here for the work and people come here for the work and so Ultimately, if we continue to deliver that, most people are satisfied. Yeah. You know, you can see a couple of people are like, oh, wanted to hang out with you in the office. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I want that too. But are we going to go and make this thing? Yeah. In some ways, it's been great. It's hard. I, I just miss, it's been really emotional seeing people again. Yeah. And I really do think, you forget how just, this is a massive, historic, very difficult thing. Mm. And particularly, I think for the younger members of the team here, I'm like, they're watching their life fly by. You remember how mm. quickly and how ferociously you mm. felt loss at that age in your 20s? Yeah. You're like, this is my fucking life and where's it gone and yeah. why aren't I in love and why aren't I moving yeah. forwards? Yeah. And those conversations are very powerful to trying to help people continue to the, live. I, I mean, I've noticed just starting coming back into London doing meetings in real life, yeah. the energy yeah. is just palpable, isn't it? Just the, and the speed you get things done, the connections, yeah. the ideas. I'm just so energized by no, seeing people again. Although to the converse, Steve, we had one client who was like, good day, we did a pitch and we've got to be careful here. <laughs> and they were like, I really love you guys. And we just want to tick the last box and have you meet our CEO. I was like, oh, cool, that sounds great. And they were like, he's four and a half hours away. So we'd love you to go down for a half an hour meeting. I was like, so you want me to travel four, four hours no way. back? Four hours back for a half an hour. And I thought, I forgot about those. You remember those absolute yeah. nonsense meetings? Yeah. Do you remember when yeah. you would fly to Stockholm for yeah. an hour's meeting? Yeah. You'd be yeah. like, yeah, that's sort of broken. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I look at it going, so I'm really glad we don't do half that yeah. bullshit anymore. Yeah. And so I actually said, no, I said, look, I'm sorry, I'm not doing that. Like, it's mad. If you want to, we'll get on Zoom, we'll have a chat. That like, is kind of cool because that, that's where technology is a saviour, isn't it? To allow yeah. you to have the half hour yeah. meeting without spending nine hours there well, you, back in a car. You realise how back to back your days are now though. I would argue yeah. we put in probably four more meetings than you would have had yeah. normally. Yeah. Good and bad, actually. Yeah, so it's been incredibly productive to some degree. I was saying to people as well, it's horrific side effects of it. Think about how many hangovers you didn't have in lockdown. Like I was like looking at our company thinking, I reckon I've benefited from two extra months of yeah. hard work that people yeah. just weren't suffering were, from yeah. the night before. It's super weird when you look at it like that, but I'm over the moon that people are back together. Oh, and, and trying to do that right and give people space and, and still be safe. But I think it's a huge part of who we are. Yeah. Being able to look each other in the eye and, and create that energy in a room. And, really cool. Yeah. I just wanted to finish up by asking, asking you, what would your advice to clients be? If you could wish one thing on you know, a CMO in terms of how to 
do the kind of amazing work you want to do? Or, or what would your advice be? I think a few things. Really, this sounds incredibly simplistic. Really try to know what you want. And I know that sounds mad, but don't walk in with a set of marketing tools and talk about the word good or what good might mean because mm. that's too baggy. Your mm. good is not mine. I think it's important to have your own taste, being really honest. Don't pretend to be anodyne or mechanical about it. Don't go, well, I'm, I'm not the creative judge, but y- y- everyone knows that yeah. you have taste. And, yeah. and, and so I would gather work you love. Find out why you love it. Really be mechanical with yourself about why these things work on you. The way you articulated our B&Q work to yeah, you yeah. is really interesting to me because that tells me you understand our yes. thing and it tells me what bits you like. Yeah, It's incredibly important, that stuff, because when you sit down with an agency, and not enough agencies are like this, by the way, but when you sit down with Uncommon, we'll be, like, we'll be judging you as much as you're judging us. And yeah. We'll be like, what do they really want? How far are they going to go? Are they really that ambitious? Do they really get what we do or try to do? And of course, when people speak to that, it's marketing to us. It's saying, mm. I really see you mm. and I see what you guys are trying to do and I get it, but I want it like this. And then mm. you're in. And all the reasons, that's a very powerful thing because once you've got the hook in our mouth, we'll burn for it. Yeah, That's the point, right? Yeah. We never do it for the money, man. We yeah. do it because someone comes in like Carolyn and goes, yeah. I think ITV should be this. And I've read your stuff and I know you're about making this and do you think there's a connection? I'm like, my God, yes, fucking please. I agree, we're going for that. Mm. So... Um, I would try to be as mechanical as you can about what it is you want, where you want to see yourselves. I wouldn't shy from painting a picture of cultural success. So not just an uplift in our sales, but listen, Nils, I want our CEO to be on the cover of Wired magazine in a year. Or I want a story about us on Forbes, where it says we've gone from this to this. Your job's to tell me how we get there. So those mechanics, I think, are powerful and, and quite moving for creative people. Because you then go, my God, okay, they mean it. I can see that. I can see that picture in my head. What bit of work's going to get them there? Yeah, that's, that's really inspiring. That's really helpful. Imagine the future, because I think so, so many, having been on the other side, writing so many briefs, it, it, it can be that we want to change this particular metric on our brand right. from X to Y. Right. It's, that's not going to inspire yeah. anybody, right? No. Yeah, no. No one's going to get out of bed and go, I'm going to solve that well, brand so engagement question. You just you no, 100%. Well, also, two, two things on that, though. Do you want to wake up and only have accomplished that yeah. as a client? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Do you really? Is yeah. that it? And secondly, like, you look at it, someone said to me, God, you guys, every time I meet with you, imagining like this brand, like I'd never even seen it. I'm like, that isn't that, the job isn't just here's an advert for your particular task. Isn't that literally what you pay us for? Yeah. To paint a picture of your brand as it could be. Yeah, exactly. You know, and I think- fact, you've, you've taken me right back actually to, to, to my first, when I joined LRS and had the conversation with Lucy. I got, in fact, I only had two briefs from Peter, the CEO. He said, one, tell us what to do about the sugar tax, which was like literally going to, destroy the business overnight yeah. he said number two make a decision on Lucas Sport because it declined for five years in a row yeah. and Gray have come up with this idea I don't I'm not sure about it can you go in and make a decision on it this kind of thing and things have got tense and, you know so yeah. I was like oh great okay so two very small questions to solve you know and um, what I loved about it and um, maybe you'll give me the backstory on it because I, I got in at the point at which it was quite worked through it, the idea was simply that we're facing an obesity crisis and but as human beings we're all designed to move and moving is a good thing and it keeps us healthy and at Luke's Aid Sport we're here and the idea was simply made to move yeah and I thought and, and in fact I remember the meeting because apparently that had been rejected early on and yeah. an alternative idea had been worked on forensically and it hadn't quite got there and I went back I said hang on man, that idea you'd rejected a few weeks ago th- that feels 
right on the money mm. to me. But it, it was great. It was a wonderful case study, actually, because it gave the brand a role in yep. culture, yep. right? It gave it a reason to exist. It gave us a reason for customers to put it on the shelf. Yep. It gave a reason for us to make, in fact, made a commitment to get a million people moving again, active. Yep. And we just said, actually, we won't do anything unless we can prove it helps people to move. And so uh, we launched it with Anthony Joshua and we just got him to go down his local park and do a run. We just said, can you just tweet out yeah, you're yeah. going for a run? And just, we got 300 people in a couple of hours just to turn up and get active. And that was our first 300 movers yeah. on the board kind of thing. But it was tremendously liberating and powerful. And I remember um, Stephen, who ran the team, did this great case study because we had this five years decline and then we were up double digit and we were, I was only there two years, but we got a double yeah. digit growth off the back of that for two years. But yeah. there's a wonderful combining and it's lovely actually because it combined really clear point of view on culture, yeah. simple idea. Yeah. And you know what? It sold some more bottles yeah, of Lucas Aid, which is great. And arguably, it worked you know, really well. Love or hate, arguably cemented Lucas Aid as a brand that people might be glad is here. Yeah. There's this exercise. I went to this talk in Germany and they drew gravestones. And they said, what, and they were like, did slightly average content marketing for 14 years. Like, what? And <laughs> that's brutal. Reason, and, well, no, it's brutal, but it's good. Whoa. And the only reason I bring that up is I don't think we should be ashamed of talking about our personal as people, but yeah. also our brand's wishes for our impact in the world. Oh, man. That's, I actually yeah. really don't. And there's a lot of cynics. There's a lot of people. There's mm. some bloke who wrote that book about our oh, jobs to sell stuff. Of course, we're going to sell stuff. Mm. Okay, that's how things move forward. That's how mm. things get bought and sold. It's not the issue. The, mm. the issue here is not what's the debate in our industry. It's as humans, do you want to wake up mm. and have done some stuff? And I'm, there's a bunch of people I think who do want to wake up and yeah. go, yeah, I did yeah. a bit more here than just what it said on the CV. Yeah, uh, those are the people I think we enjoy working with. You just reminded me when, when uh, after I got fired from Brewdog, I had a little bit of time on my hands. And I came up with an idea that would literally take 90% of CO2 out of the entire soft drink supply chain, yep. radically transform it. But there's no incentive for any soft drink company to do it because obviously they're going to lose all the business yep. and all that kind of thing. And it just reminded me, I, I, I pitched to a few investors because it, it would take millions to make it happen. And um, yeah, it just reminded me actually because... I thought, how on earth could I, as one person, yeah. okay, I've got a bit of experience in the industry, but I couldn't possibly do this. I remember this investor said, but we'd invest in you because you know yeah. how to do this. And because going back to, you said to me earlier, like the stories we tell ourselves, yeah. the story I was telling myself then, which I'm telling myself now, which yeah. is you've, you've challenged me now is to say, but I'm just one person, I can't do yeah. this and I haven't got the money yeah. and I've got a big mortgage and I've got kids at school and I need to yeah. do this and that and the other. So I was giving myself reasons not to do it. Yeah. And this investor said, yeah, but, but we would invest in you. We, there are countless investors yep. out there that want to make a difference in the world yep. and that will get behind an idea if you it's to, the right one. You have to create yeah. a... I found that a crisis is more motivating for that level of change than, yeah. than support. Listen, the best story about that I saw the other day, I'd never heard this before and I can't believe I hadn't, is Robin Williams. No, actually, completely wrong. I was looking for Robin Williams and I found Jim yeah. Carrey. Yeah. Have you heard this? No. So Jim Carrey goes, I might get it wrong, but he goes, um, my dad wanted to be a comedian. And he went out and he looked at it all and he was like, I can't be a comedian because I've got a family and I need to pay for them. And I don't believe I can make enough money to support my family. So he went and trained and became an accountant. And then he said he got fired from being an accountant when Jim was 12 or something. And they really struggled. They really struggled to find food, all the above, they nightmare. And he worked out from that. If you can fail doing what you don't love, <laughs> why wouldn't you just give it a fucking pop? Yeah. If you can fail doing what you don't love, why wouldn't you have... Like, and I just yeah. was like, that's it. That is there's it. There's no guarantee. Like, yeah. we, we force ourselves to believe that there's a choice yeah. between the things we love and success. Yeah. And there isn't. That's fake. That's a, that's a lie that we tell ourselves. It's fear, really. And I was like, 
That's so true. Yeah. So the only choice you've got at that point is you may as well go do the thing you that matters. That is you may as yeah. well. Because it is fear, isn't it? Yeah. It's, I, I don't think I've met anybody that is completely fearless, that no. isn't telling themselves no. those stories, that you talk yourself down from doing well, what yeah. you're passionate you give about. It, well, I, I think we are worse than that. I think we con ourselves. I think we give ourselves ways out. Yeah. We create loopholes. Yeah, you know, that's and, true. And fight, you know, we, we don't know it, but we're actually going backwards. I, t- I tell you what's killing me about this conversation is flying out to meet this investor, talking to him about the idea. He's a massive environmentalist. He knows me and, and he gets it. And he, he was like pushing me. And I, I remember I, I then I, I then got distracted by some other things and doing what I do now. But and I remember him saying to me, he, he said, I think you're too late now because the big guys will do this. And I, I think he's wrong because actually the big, the big, bigger the companies with more vested interests, they're slow. And it's always the little mavericks yeah. that go and just cause I, havoc. I, I and it can take five, seven years often when you yeah. see how long it takes to become a success. And eventually, if you become a pain in the ass, the big companies, they'll change. Yeah. Or, yeah. or they'll buy you out to accelerate what you're yeah. doing. But again, it's the this things was we chat with Halo. Right? So this Literally, this was a chat with Halo. Yeah. And we were like, Nespresso are going to do this. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And of course, the more you look at their business, no, they're not. No, they're not. They're not they, they own fucking yeah. copper mines, yeah. man. Yeah. Their whole business is locked they're, into exactly, making metal exactly. capsules. Yeah. They're they not going to do. They're not going to do this. Yeah. Not. Unless you become such a yeah. pain in the face, they have to buy yeah. you also, and write a big check. You, what I've also worked out is you can't brief people on a dream. So you can't go. I'll tell you what. I'd love you. I've had this amazing idea. I'd like you to do it for me. No one does. You can't dispense that. The thing that will make it happen is your personal burning ambition, particularly when it gets boring. Yeah. Yes, you know, (laughs) meters of boredom involved in doing new things. And actually, the thing that will get you through that is your ambition. You'll want to do it. No one will do that for you. Okay, so as I said in my introduction, I actually met Nils and interviewed him just prior to lockdown. We had an absolutely fantastic conversation. And then, of course, coronavirus hit and I didn't publish the episode. But actually, in one sense, I'm glad that I didn't put the episode out because it gave me a chance to catch up with Nils again, have the conversation you just heard. But I didn't want to miss the opportunity to pull out some of the highlights from that chat we had because uh, there's some real gold dust in there. So what I've done now is just put together a few little highlights. So here are a selection of really good outtakes from my chat with Nils. So uh, enjoy the uh, bonus section. I don't know if you remember. You have an ad campaign. You do something called release copy, which is like a fucking button you press and all of the ads fly out to all of the newspapers. And the moment you've sent those ads, you then can't barter on media because they know you're going to buy an ad, right? Anyway, I released copy a day earlier than they'd booked media. So all the papers knew they were going to book it. It must have cost them, oh, honestly, no. looking oh, back. Oh, no. So you're then paying full Dude, rate cover. I mean, gee, I, you know, I dread to think what it cost them. They were oh. so lovely. Just like, I was there almost in tears. You know, they just took me to lunch, bought me don't, a bottle, don't you think you know? everyone early in their career has got that, that big mistake they made yeah. that they then look back and go, man, either made you or broke you. I mean, <laughs> you know, I remember... Um, we were chatting before, weren't we, about kind of r- rather epic mistakes. <laughs> like, you know, when I, I managed to, uh, I was working on this, um, uh, in fact, it's my first brand manager job, right? I was working on the, uh, the liqueur brand, Di Serena Amaretto. And um, I was thinking, I'm going to make my mark in this industry, right? So uh, I worked with uh, the agency I was working with in the London Underground. And I said, I've got a brilliant idea, right? When you go into a bakery, you get this amazing smell of bread and it makes you want to buy bread, right? So I said, what if I wafted almonds in the underground? Because you get all the, you know how you let, like, get all the, the air coming <laughs> oh through. So um, I worked with these guys. We, we created this like centimeter that was implanted at the bottom of every escalator. So as, as the waft came in from the, you know, from the airflow, basically the whole escalator filled with this glorious I can't deal with this, dude. This is killing me. Now, the thing is, right, 
they say everything is timing and timing is everything. And th- this is like 2003, I think, right? And we're about to go to war with Iraq. And uh, the campaign starts on a Monday. And no word of a lie, but the sun, right, on the Monday morning does this big uh, front page news story. And it's home office advice. And it goes, home office issues new warnings to the public. Number one, watch out for the smell of almonds in the underground because cyanide <laughs> smells of almonds. Yeah. And I'm like, and, and literally, I'm, I'm away at some trade show. And uh, I, I get to lunchtime, turn my phone on, think, you know, have I got any messages? I've got 12 messages. And it's like, hi, I'm so-and-so from the Daily Mail. Hi, I'm so-and-so from the Times. And literally, I'd like the equivalent of crashing the internet <laughs> before the internet existed. But I was like every journalist in the but country. But also causing major physical panic. Yeah, well, what's your, what's your I, look, approach man, to it? I, I think purpose has become... I don't know, a, a terrible word in our industry to mm. some degree. We, we don't talk a lot about that. We just ask quite fundamental questions around why the brand is here. You know, what's it doing here? What, why are you running it? What do you believe this brand can accomplish? All those things are linked to purpose, but really they're linked to something far more emotional, which is yeah. there's a lot of talk of what the brand's purpose is, but I'm more interested in what the person driving that brand's purpose is. Because that's the truth of any brand. Yeah. They're not these faceless sort of systems that run on their own. They're driven by people. You'll know that. Mm. So, you know, you're CMO of somewhere. What do you personally want to achieve with that brand's voice? You know, and I think that's a question not enough people ask. I think that we pretend it's this faraway affair that we can strategize. Yeah, yeah. When all it is is how we feel about the world. So, yeah. so we ask that. And I, I believe performance is tied directly to it. I'll tell you what has happened very recently, which I love, but also think is interesting. So I think we've spent 10 years arming you know, as brands, as, as studios, as whatever, arming ourselves with marketing services. And we used to, we, you know, there was confusion and still is a little bit around whether it's creativity or marketing services. So we need to talk about programmatic, we need to talk about UGC, we need to talk about all this. Those are marketing services. Don't confuse them with creativity. Yeah. Yeah. And what I think we're seeing now with a return to what people are calling brand building or all that other stuff is actually a return to creativity yeah. and vision. Yes. And I think that's incredible, you yeah. know, and I think that's... Um, very timely, you know, and it's amazing these days. You don't need an agency, you know. If you look all over the internet, you've got people taking photos in front of beautiful doors, you know, and you can use that. And I was like, but this is perfect, dude, because that isn't going to yeah. build your brand. That isn't going to rescue, you know, your your failing sales. That isn't going to do any of the sort. It's just going to fill up the gigabyte landfill yeah. of content that nobody, by the way, is asking for. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, and I sort of thought to myself, okay, that's the disconnect now. It is. And you're, what you're seeing, of course, and, and there's, there's a tension here, John, because when you start a brand, um, you need, whether you like it or not, you need targeted pay, you know, social targeted work. You can't grow a brand with a massive marketing budget from day one. You need earned media and all that other stuff. But Halo absolutely relied on social. It relied on, you know, a load of that work because otherwise people wouldn't have heard of us. So Kate Waters at ITV showed me some really interesting data about trust in advertising yeah. being lower than politicians. You'd, yeah. you'd, you'd think, you'd like to think that they couldn't, you couldn't get worse than politicians. Well, have you seen that? There's a, a couple of charts that, that we have here because in a weird way, I find that quite motivating. Yeah because it means we have to change. It does. But there's a chart we have here, which is, you know, something like people look forward to the ads on TV as much as they look forward to the programs. And in 1991, that was true. So in 91, you and I'd sit down in front of the telly on a Saturday night and the ad break would come on and be like, oh, fuck, here we go, brilliant. Here's the creative bit. And like Guinness surfers had come on. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Cabby Gorilla and this sort of thing. You'd talk about it. Yeah, and everyone would be like, oh God, it's the ad. Now, partly because programming's got so much better, yeah. but partly because advertising's got worse, yes. we're now in negative decline to the point where people are paying money to avoid the ad yeah. industry. You know, so I kind of go, that's where we are. 
Yeah. Now, people still like great advertising when it appears, but if yeah. you stop people on the street and say, do you like advertising? They'll say no. Challenge now. Because you say that, but I reckon someone in Luton, someone in Aberdeen, myself, we're all sat going, I've got three boys. Am I spending enough time talking about how they're feeling? Yeah. Is yeah. the world going by too fast? Should we all have a little moment and stop and talk about that? Yeah. That'll be true no matter what no, that's br- twang yeah, I, in your I, accent. You I know, and, that's brilliant. Um, yeah, I, 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 think, I think actually, weirdly, this is why I... My answer to your question, which is a good one, is I think more of us should take it personally. Yeah. I don't think we're taking it personally enough in that our role and our time in this game is finite. And we either get to choose to wake up every day and do a decent marketing job or wake up every day and really matter outside of marketing, like in the world. Yeah. And I think that's what we should be doing. Right. I wanted to, I wanted to ask you um, about Nike and Lionesses. And, and this might be a bit of a confessional on my part. And Uh-oh. we're going to jump back to Grey a little bit, oh, if you okay. don't mind the detail yeah. here. So my, uh, my biggest advertising regret is not making a bit of work with Grey that I should have made. Mm. Right. And so um, I'll, t- I'll tell you the idea they pitched. And it was, um, it, this was before the Men's World Cup. So working on LucasAid, this is 18 months before uh, the Women's World Cup. Um, I was working with uh, Mark at the FA, chief exec, to yep. do a deal with the Lionesses because we were an England sponsor and we were going to also sponsor Lionesses. And the amazing thing about doing that is there's so much more you can do with the team because they're up for doing more. They're not as you know contractually bound up as the men. So it's really exciting creatively. And um, uh, Dominic pitched this idea to me um, uh, at, uh, at Grey, which was this, it was like, basically we open, we open in the 1980s in a, in a, in a hospital ward in uh, in Liverpool and you kind of see in the background there's a European kind of championship on the wall and uh, you see a baby being born and then there's a uh, running along time there's a voiceover so Liverpudlian voiceover and it says I was born and raised in the shadow of Stanley Park from an early age I had a football at my feet and uh, by uh, by the age of seven I you know I was playing for my local boys team I was scouted by Everton and became the youngest player ever to you know play in the first team Everton scored more goals than you know anyone else has then, then ends up playing for my country, captain my country, played in World Cups, um, transferred to uh, the most famous, you know, one of the most famous clubs in Manchester and uh, won over 50 caps in my club and country. And you've got this lovely kind of Liverpudlian voiceover talking at the same time. And then you get a reveal. It goes, hi, my name's Tony Duggan, yeah. captain of the women's team. Yeah. And I just thought, I had tingles down my yeah, spine when they course. pitched it. I'm yeah. like, and, and the plan was, let's play that in the Men's World Cup. Yeah. And I just thought, that is beautiful. That is absolutely beautiful. You've just made a really beautiful point mm. about the, the, the lack of elevation yeah. of the women's team and profile and that sort of thing. And it was one of those moments in my career where I went, i got to make this. Yeah. This is, this is going to happen, right? Yeah. I, so, and, then, and then for some reason, so I got talked into it by the marketing and by the brand team to say, Let, let's just do some research we like it, but let's just compare it to the other idea. Literally, you can hear me, can hear me groan. <laughs> I know, I know. You know where we're going with this, don't you? Oh, and it's God. like, because we've got this idea that's a bit more on strategy sort of thing. And, and so my instinct was to go, no, no, forget that. This has got fame. This has got yeah. talk. This has got yeah. the nation talking. This yeah. has got, you know, all, all, you know, PR all over it sort of thing. And then, of course, what happened, we did some qual research. And what people said in research is, oh, I thought that was an advert about Rooney. We're really confused. I thought you were talking about Rooney. I was like, yeah, that's the point, right? That's, that's the whole, that's the joke, right? But and they, we're confused. Why are you talking about Rooney yeah. and when it's a woman and this sort yeah. of thing? And then, of course, on the other one, the safe route, everyone said, oh, yes, no, we understand what they're trying to say is that we should all get out and, you know, exercise more kind of thing. And um, I got talked down on it. And I have to say, it's my, it's my big regret from, yeah. a, you know, because that, that was just I a don't, Dude, I, idea, I, yeah. um, I don't know what to say to you, really. I feel like... <laughs> 
Well, no, I really, I mean, this whole thing about taking it personally, just on that talking down thing. A lot of the people we work with here who come here come because they see the world a bit like we do. Mm. And so all of our stuff around, you know, life's short, this, you've got to matter, you've got to make that stuff. Yeah. They come with that fire in their bellies. Yeah. And the real way to look at that is honestly, is the fire in your belly bigger than the haters or the fear in your organization? Yeah. And if it is, then you'll make it. Yeah. And you should have made it. You're absolutely yeah, right. hundred percent. You should have yeah, made it. hundred percent. Because I would argue it would have unlocked all sorts of other stuff. Diverse. So let me just tell you before we get to that, right? Yeah. We went and met you. We were like, oh, it's really cool. Met John. Never got to work with him at Grey. Really cool. One meeting. Went back. Had a meeting. You weren't there. We were like, John? <laughs> John? <laughs> it was like, dude, it was literally. It we was went, about a week later. We went out of there I going, know. what the fuck just happened? Like, we met this guy and then he's suddenly gone. So uh, it was I kind know. of weird. But that yeah. a few times. But it was like, I, I love that meeting. It was, it was really yeah. inspiring. Yeah. I was, I was getting super excited. And um, I think the brief, uh, the brief I wrote, the 1984 brief, was one of the most exciting briefs I've ever written because I just thought yeah. Brewdog has the potential to be Apple yeah. in, in the beer world, doesn't it? To yeah. completely break how the... Because if you go back to um, what Apple did, you know, they, they kind of broke that PC dominance. And what, what Brewdog are doing with mainstream lager, which is a massive monolithic industry dominated by a few incredibly strong mm. players, is, is insane. So... Um, yeah, talk to me about how you. How well, you I just thought, I mean, the Apple thing with that. or not, but I, I think there's a spirit under Brito. Everyone wangs on about punk, and I think in their past they'd been guilty of advertising being punk, and that's not the same thing. Yeah. Right? Like, true punks like wouldn't fucking advertise. Yeah. Uh, I think they're intelligent and they're radical, that organization. And so we were like, well, okay, the best thing you could do is just literally, you know, frankly piss all over what people think advertising is supposed to be and yeah. what you're supposed to do to go and exactly garner a new that. audience. Um, so we just thought, right, we're just going to do this thing. We'll just put an advert on a screen with the most intense, deepest metal soundtrack we could find. Yeah. Um, I spent a good three weeks just going through all my favorite old metal, <laughs> Mastodon, Pantera. Oh, I wish I was helping you out on that one. Dude, I it was that fucking one. Yeah. awesome. Uh, Metallica. And, yeah, yeah, man, we had the yeah. Deftones in there. It was like, yeah. it was absolutely brilliant. Um, you know, and just sort of put this thing together. But I, I think what I liked about their approach was that we knew it would have impact, but it had to have scale. Yeah. And so I just think there's a lesson there for a few marketers as well. I mean, James is a very bright and, and ferocious chap. But one thing he really understood with that was, right, I'm going to run it once, yeah. but I'm going to run it in the Game of Thrones ad take. hundred, exactly. You know, rather than yeah. buying 35 TDRs, yeah. it was like, I'm going to buy one, I'm going to smash it, yeah. and the whole fucking country's going to shut exactly. down. And that's yeah. basically what happened. It totally. But I do, I do think that we are all, you know, Faris calls it the age of outrage, mm. which is we used to share what we love. Now we share what we hate or are offended by. Yeah. And I think everyone's mowing their lawns at the same time on Twitter, whinging about the same shit. Yeah. And I kind of go, what he gets is, honestly, guys, by the time we've got to this, yeah. I'll have sold another 100,000 cans. You'll yeah. all have talked about it. You know, we did a bus side that just said, you know, advert on a bus, right? Yeah. When was the last time anyone talked about a bus side? That garnered more conversation about whether it was good or bad or whether advertising was dead or not. I'm like, that's that approach. I'm not going to even over-intellectualize it. We just knew it would have an impact and pass. But, but this, this this is like we were chatting earlier. This is one of the core rules of advertising. I think everyone forgets is you've got to keep it simple. Yeah. In the age of like distraction, yeah. like having a simple message well said and dram dramatic mm. is one of the most powerful things. Because for some reason, the creative process there are so many stakeholders involved and so many you must say this we want to get this and remember these are our brand guidelines and you must do this and that and the other the list and yeah I know and it kills yeah. it because it's like I'll tell you what's mad as well is I think outdoors having a real renaissance and I, I kind of mean that in that if you want to behave with scale as a brand any brand um, outdoor works like Instagram 
So what's the most iconic single visual or word or moment that you can place into culture that, that will just tell people everything they need to know? Yeah. So we did that work for The Guardian, you know, the Hope is Power that stuff. That was great. Yeah. But it was really interesting because people are requesting to buy those prints because it didn't behave like most advertising. Yeah. It didn't go, and now a subscription for 9.99 and now this or that. Yeah. It just went, here's what we believe in. The, the one thing I would say to anybody starting any, any business actually, whether it's a brand or a creative company, is have a vision outside of just being good. So I think in our industry, there's been a load of people who start up or just run an agency. We're just, we're just quite good. We're three good people. We're opening up. And I think our thing was, no, no, no. We get to open a company and we get to have a view of the world. And our view of the world is this. You know, it's that we think the woods are burning and that we think time is short, you know, and we think that you should be creating something of meaning and of impact here, um, you know, and it's time for a step change. And what that did was honestly loads of other stuff, which we really underestimated, was it self-selected clients mm. because people read that or saw that and went... Oh, yeah, right. Okay. Is that me or not? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And it meant that no one was walking in the door going, I'd like a 1% sales uplift. Yeah. Okay, they're not for us. Mm. The people that were walking in the door wanted wholesale change, wanted reappraisal, wanted impact, wanted to you know to have a meaningful relationship with people well, in the real world. that's fun as well, isn't it? Yeah. That's, that's the energising yeah. brief. That's what gets you out of bed. But not a lot of people. Yeah. Some people don't want that. No, it's true. Like, okay, yeah, so yeah, some yeah. people walk in the door and we ask every one of them, uh, you know, We've got to stop being so dependent in this industry and just want to win. I spent my time at Grey trying to win, mm. right? Win everything, win pitches, win awards. I don't do that here, right? We, we, the first conversation we have when someone walks in the door is we say, why are you here? And if they say, oh, you're on a list, we kind of really inquire as to whether we'll take that project yeah. on. We turn down more than we do, you know? So we say to them, oh, why are you here? And they say, well, fuck, I saw that bit of Habito work or I saw that yeah. bit of work over here or I read that thing. Then we know we're already in the right place. Yeah. Because what we worked out, man, and I know it sounds mad, is everything we do is something we don't do. So that sounds incredibly simple, but everything we focus on and pour our hearts into, there's something else that we're not there's doing. Something have to give now that had better be fucking good. Yeah. Because if that's all our time, all our talent are working on that and it's just a dance and someone doesn't want to make something brilliant, we've wasted our time. I think that's a lovely mantra. Everything you do yeah. is something yeah. you've, you don't do. Yeah, that's that's a brilliant little yeah. quote. That. But that's, that's a business. And you only recognize that when it's your business, mm. when you know that if you make those calls badly, you will shut. Yeah. So it's like... It's, it's a defense. different feeling, though, isn't it, when you own it and you're accountable. So that everyone sat outside, yeah. you're accountable. Well, you, you Lucy, and Natalie, yeah. collectively, yeah. are accountable for them and accountable for yeah. yourselves. Yeah, the whole thing. Yeah. And weirdly, it doesn't make you... I don't think it makes you more scared. You know, I think it makes you more fierce. Mm. Because you go, well, actually, if that's the case, I just have to back myself. Because I don't get to look back and wish I'd made the Lucas I, <laughs> I look back and go, did I make the wrong call? Did I spend a year fucking around with that client who didn't make anything yeah. instead of making Nike, The Guardian, whatever. Yeah. So I would argue, you know, it, it, from ITV through to you or, or yeah. any of the brands we manage, imagine you said the very first thing we do, way before we talk about consumers or anybody else, is make this a magnet for talent. Yeah. This business a magnet for talent. What would you change? What decisions would you make? If you'd made that line I said, and I keep going back to that, yeah. other people would have gone, fuck, Luke said on the map. I, know. I need to go work I, there. I know, and that's all my instinct was screaming, yeah. Yeah. exactly that. Yeah. This will attract talent, yeah. this will put that's us on the map, this all will give momentum, spheres this will bring other into play. good things. That's right. It all happens. Yeah, that's yeah. right. So it kind of I feels think, to me like that's the that's biggest... That's why I kick myself. That's why I look back and go, damn. Yeah. You know, I mean, fortunately, we did the Anthony Joshua, no one ever moved yeah, before standing. Yeah, still, lovely work like that, and there's been some other great things as well. But that's definitely one that got away. Yeah. No, I feel well, it. Yeah. I feel it. <laughs> but that is that is the thing to uncommon man. I mean, and I think that's the, the starting point of all of it is that Luce Nat and I were like, you know, we get one go at this. That's the impact we want to have. Make it count. Yeah. And let's really, really go at it yeah. and not ever look back and go, oh, you know. We had one client come in. It's slightly it is an uncensored thing, right? Okay. In the first two weeks we had a big West Coast client come over and we were like, Oh my god, this is fucking brilliant. Because we were worried, you know, and they were yeah. like half a million quid. It was like, woohoo. 
and they asked us for a load of stuff that wasn't really what we did. And we started fighting and we started arguing yeah. and we spent a week not doing great stuff. And then we were like, hang on, hang on, hang on. Yeah. Let's, what the fuck are we doing? This is not why we started You've got to not company. be that agency. That's it. We're not being agency. It was our thing. But, yeah. but literally, this is not, this is what we said we literally wanted to avoid. The dance, right? Mm. And we were like, okay. So we parked it and moved on. And we said, the next time we get that feeling in our guts, Good. ever, Good. we walk. Good. Yeah. And that's, that's sort of That's the top advice. Well, yeah. The third question, um, what one bit of advice would you give the uncensored CMO to make this podcast the best podcast in the world? James is shaking his head now. I always ask this one. <laughs> no, I've got this talent in the room, right? I might as well use it. Yeah, fair enough. I think you, you should think really hard about the output. And the output of something like this should be twofold, I think. One is you've called it the uncensored CMO. So it should be helping CMOs absolutely everywhere, not make the fucking thing happen that you did where you didn't make yeah. the ad you wanted to make, right? It 100%. should be inspiring. Yeah. It should put fire in their belly. And arguably, more than that, it should free them up to understand that it's not about not making that. It's like what will happen if you don't. Yeah. So that's one thing. And the other thing is I think you should somehow find a way for this to galvanize more people into doing their own thing. Because if the world yeah. were full of more people following what they really wanted to do, the world would be a better place. That's Love a fact. It, so there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. That's my uh, conversation with Nils Leonard, the inspirational co-founder of Uncommon Creative Studios. I hope you found it as energizing and uh, inspirational as I did. Uh, recording it um, listen I would love to get your feedback so please do go on to Apple Podcasts and leave me a review and as well also you can contact me on Twitter my Twitter handle is at Uncensored CMO and I'm on LinkedIn uh, where you can find me as John Evans so please do uh, get in touch let me know if there are any people out there that you'd love me to speak to and uh, do give me feedback I do really appreciate it until next time look after yourselves <laughs> <laughs>